so many athletes who come to me and come to you and probably every other running coach out there, that's often what they do is that they don't understand. Like I've been running, I run this far every day and I have for years and I'm not getting better and maybe I'm getting worse. And that's because there is a ton of science showing how our bodies adapt to exercise and we need so many. These principles of exercise basically help you understand how you want to build a training plan to reach your goals. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. And welcome to episode 41 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner Podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I am a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of the MotherRunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today we get to hear from Heather Hart. She's the founder of Relentless Forward Commotion, which is a running resource and it's strength and run coaching. And we talk about a lot of things. We She's an adventure racer, and so we talk about how she got into that. And then we go into how to optimize training adaptation. So how to push yourself so that you get fitter and faster, but don't push yourself too far, the important role of recovery and getting fitter, and how to find the right training methods for you to help you bust through a plateau, how to reach your full potential. Some more about Heather. Heather Hart is an A- CSM, Certified Exercise Physiologist, UESCA and RRCA Certified Coach, an ultra runner, adventure racer, mom to two teens, and the co-founder of Heart Strength and Endurance Coaching. It's her passion to help everyday athletes better understand exercise science and to learn how to balance training for big athletic goals with real life. She has run countless ultras, including first place finishes, and she just has a whole lot of certifications, like she's in exercise physiology, as a running coach, ultra running coach, strength and conditioning. We're going to get to my conversation with Heather after this very short message from our sponsor, Runner Click. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun, and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Heather, I'm so happy to meet you in real life. You don't know this, but behind the scenes, like back when I was starting the Mother Runners several years ago in 2019, and I was like doing my research and stuff, I was I happened upon your website so many times because you write such informed factual, grounded in science articles. So I have been, and I know I've interviewed you for articles in the past, but I've been a huge fan and admirer of yours from a distance. So I'm really happy to be talking to you in real life. Thank you. Yeah. So I stalked you a little bit on Instagram earlier this week and you were kind of in my neck of the woods. I feel like you were doing an adventure race last weekend. Is that right? Yes. We were down in Savannah. Mm Mm-hmm. Hot and muggy, probably yep, already. It, it sure was. <laughs> it sure was. Yeah, that was actually our first time to Savannah. I've never been there, despite I live in Myrtle Beach, so I'm not too far away. Oh, you do? Okay, so you're not, we're like 
kind of close to one another. I kind of neighbors, right? Yeah, we go to Charleston for quite a bit, like a couple times over the summer. So we're kind of near you then. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, we'd never been there before. And what better way to see a city than like running through it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's true. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was gorgeous. It, it was very crowded. I guess there was a bunch of festivals going on that weekend. So the part of the trek portion of our adventure race was actually downtown. So it was really cool to be like running and trying to find these specific coordinates and specific locations, you know, so it was a lot of fun. It was beautiful. I want to go back, not racing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Where you can actually like maybe sit and soak it in instead of, yes. Okay. So I want to get into how you landed where you are now in adventure racing. But before we do, can you define what adventure racing and what it looks like? Sure. Yeah. So adventure racing is a multidisciplinary sport. So the most common disciplines are going to be mountain biking, foot travel, so running, hiking, whatever, and some sort of paddling, whether it's kayaking, canoeing, rafting, anything like that. But unlike a triathlon where you have your set, like we're going to run, we're going to bike, or no, I'm sorry, we're going to swim, bike, and run. Adventure racing can switch back and forth between all of these disciplines, sometimes in, you know, totally random order based on the route choice you take. And so unlike a traditional race where you have a course, an adventure race, you're going to get a map. Oh, I don't have them right here. I had some nearby. You're going to get a map with coordinates on it and you have to figure out what is the fastest route to get, you know, from the start line to the finish line, collecting these checkpoints along the way through the disciplines that I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a ton of fun. It hits your type two, you know, like this is miserable kind of endurance fun. (laughs) But you also have to think, you know, because you have to strategize. You have to remember, you know, where you are, where you're going, what's coming next. So so that's adventure racing. And it lasts anywhere from, you know, like a three-hour to five-hour beginner race all the way up to multiple days. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So there's no ways. (laughs) <laughs> there's no app there. Like, how do no. I? <laughs> I mean, I think back to like when I was learning to drive and we had paper maps. And now today I'm like, if you had me try to figure out how to get from point A to point B with a paper map, yeah, I would never arrive. I would get lost. So that in of itself, like minus all the physical demands, that in of itself is just remarkable to me. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. It's that is probably the hardest thing for me right now is the navigation, just because, like you said, we don't do that day to day anymore. Like, I haven't used MapQuest since I was maybe 19 years old. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Is MapQuest even around anymore? I don't know. I don't, I think it is. But yeah, my kids would be like, what are you talking about, mom? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> and you're working in a team, right? Yes. So you have to make sure you have good chemistry and you're not going to butt heads because I feel like there's a lot of room for friction and disagreement. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. It's learning how to like help each other and help the team as a whole rather than, you know, being, this was hard for me as well because coming from like an ultra running and traditional running background, I was very competitive with myself. And, you know, if I'm having a good day, I'm going for it. If I'm having a bad day, I don't want to talk to anybody. You can't do that on a team sport like this. You have to like give and take. So it could be anywhere from There are some solo racers, but upwards of four people. So we do race, my husband and I race together, and then we do sometimes do three and four person teams as well. Okay. I was going to ask if you do it with your husband. So how is that for your relationship? It's hilarious. (laughs) We 
have to warn people who race with us like that every now and then we'll have like a husband and wife squabble, but it's fine. Like we're fine. You just ignore us and let us do our thing and we'll get over it. Like this past race, we had our only little fight. We fought because I was making up words. I was tired and I was trying to navigate. (laughs) And so I'm like, I'm pointing at the map and I'm pointing at this little like side road and I called it, I called it a squeeble squabble. I'm like, look at this little squeeble squabble. And he's like, what? Use real words. And I'm like, we're supposed to be having fun. Don't get mad at me. And you know, and we're like (laughs) bickering back and forth. And I joke that I like rage stomped over to the checkpoint because we're right near it. And, but yeah, and then we got over it, but it's actually great racing with him because he knows my strengths and weaknesses and vice versa. And we know how to help each other. You know, lots of that like nonverbal communication. You can just read your spouse, like this is what they need or, you know, what can help them. And then of course there's that level of trust when you're out there in the middle of nowhere or you're in a situation that's a little scary. Like we've been out like on open water where all of a sudden the current and the waves get a little sketchy in a boat, you know, in a small boat. It's good to have a person that you trust and who do you trust more than your spouse? So yeah, it's cool. Right. Yeah. I would think it would parlay into like your personal lives too. If you know, your kid busts their head open, like you guys know how to operate in stressful times. And then also like learning how to fight too, or how to have disagreements, I should say, and just good communication because you need to be communicating well in a situation like that. You really do. And and I tell my clients all the time who are, you know, going after maybe like their first hundred miler, I tell them, you have to be very careful with who you choose for your crew because when you're really, really tired, you people tend to say things they maybe don't mean, like out of frustration or anger or they're tired. And and so I remind them, if you're bringing a family member or a spouse who's not familiar with this world, you need to warn them. Like anything I say, <laughs> I don't mean it. I Don't hold it against me. I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. So I think that when we do get into those little spats mid-race, like we both know, it's just, it's the hangry talking or like the lack of calories. Right yes. Now. <laughs> no, that's great. And again, like that too can be picked up and put into personal life. Like anything said in the middle of the night when you have sick kids or an infant or something should just be completely taken with a grain of salt. That's so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Because I remember like my husband used to, well, he still runs ultras. I guess he did one last summer. But like the first one I went and crewed him. I, he, you know, was not happy to see me. And I'm like, I'm driving on these mountain roads with like one headlight about to die, trying to figure out coordinates. And, you know, I went through a lot to be here and it's like, he didn't give me the time of day. And I hadn't thought of that moment until now. And I'm like, well, obviously, because he had just run, you know, 75 miles in and still 25 miles to go. Right. He was exhausted. Yeah. (laughs) Really exhausted. That's a level of exhaustion that many people never know. Okay. So let's back the truck up. Let's talk about how you got into this world. Yeah. So, so we're going to go way back. I have two sons. My oldest is 16 and a half now. When he was born, I did the the typical, like, I want to lose the baby weight. I was 23 years old. And what comes to mind first, I was like, oh, I think I'll go for a run. I wasn't a runner. I had technically done a half marathon prior to the, becoming pregnant with him because my older sister was a runner, but I didn't train for it. I just, you know, you know how 20 year olds can be like, they can, you can get through anything without training. Oh, for sure. <laughs> the stuff I did when I was in my, right. I mean, it's insane. <laughs> like, how did I not hurt myself? Yes. <laughs> So I decided to start running and I will never forget that first run postpartum. I was probably about like 
and maybe eight or nine weeks postpartum. And I went for barely a mile, run, walk. I got home. I puked. I had the worst, like I tore the skin off my, the back of my heel because I was in like Nikes I'd worn waitressing like five years ago. Right. You know, I, I didn't know what I was <laughs> These doing. These will do. It was awful. It was so bad. But for whatever reason, the next day I was like, I'm going to do it again. And the day after that, I'm going to do it again. And I kept going and it didn't take long for me to just feel amazing. Like it wasn't just the exercise or the weight loss, but it was like, I was really kind of grounding myself back to me. You know, I'm a young first time mom. I don't have any family around. None of my friends have kids. So I was kind of like lost in this world and running was where I kind of felt confident and I could kind of be myself again. So I fell in love with it. And at the time I had taken a break from school. I used to be a marine biology major and I had taken a lot of time off. And so I'd fallen in love with running and really kind of like learning the science behind it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to school because I want to share this with other people. I don't want to just get a personal training certification. Not that there's anything wrong with those, but I wanted more. So I went back to school, got a degree in exercise science, bachelor's degree, and just kind of like took it from there. Initially, I did a lot of online stuff like the blog. Um, I'd been writing there for a long time and I worked in gyms for since that time back in like 2008. So I'm working one-on-one with people, not runners, but just people with fitness goals. In 2017, my husband and I decided to start an online run coaching business. We had had people asking us for years because he's worked in the fitness industry for a long time too. We'd always had people asking, will you write me a plan? Will you write me a plan? And we were like, (laughs) so finally we're like, let's do it. Let's go all in. And it was, that was October, 2017. And by the next spring, we were both doing it full time. Like we had quit everything else. Yeah. And so that brings us to today. We have heart strength and endurance coaching. We've got 10 coaches on our team. Wow. We mainly work with first time ultra runners, but we have, you know, runners of all goals and abilities. We also work with multi-sport athletes, like triathlon, triathletes, adventure racers, obstacle course racers. Yeah. So that's kind of what we do. My personal like area of interest, I guess, is more strength training. I studied and sat for my CSCS exam last year and passed that. So that was kind of a big, exciting thing. But we just like to really work with endurance athletes, but really help them focus on all aspects of fitness and and helping them reach their goals. So personally, how did you go from running a mile and puking and and (laughs) ripping the skin off your heels to doing ultras to doing adventure races? Yes. I think that initially my progression was much, it is very similar to most people. I started, you know, with the one mile. And then once that got a little more comfortable, I was like, oh, there's five Ks in town. Maybe I'll try one of those. And so I signed up for some five Ks and did pretty well in them. And now keep in mind, I had done a half marathon before, you know, not, it was miserable. I didn't train for it, but I knew I could cover that distance. So it just kind of naturally progressed from there. I ran my first marathon within that first year. It was the Marine Corps marathon was my very first. Back- that was my first yeah. too. What year was that? 2007. I had to do the math. I'm like, how old is my kid? 2007 was the first time. Okay. I did mine when I was in college in 2003, because my dad always ran the Marine Corps marathon because he He's a former Marine, although you can't once a Marine, always a Marine. So that was kind of like my, you know, in honor, not that he, I mean, he's still around, but like in honor of my dad being. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a great race. Yeah. My sister lived in DC at the time. So it just kind of made it like a natural, you know, like let's go stay with her. And we ran the race and, and I had a great time. 
so I kind of stayed there for a few years in that like marathon phase. I was still in school. I had two babies at this point. My boys were two years apart. And in 2012, the father of my kids and I split and we had a pretty like gnarly, not so fun split. I moved away with my kids for a while back home with my family in New England. And in New England, there's trails everywhere. There's lots of trails. And so, you know, running for me then was kind of like my escape. I hate to say running is therapy because I think you know, therapy is very important, like real therapy, but it was, it's important for mental health. Exactly. It was very, very important for me at that time to kind of like lean on my running. And so I naturally kind of progressed to more trail running at that point, because that's what was available. But I also kind of dove right into the obstacle course racing world. At that time, I was in Vermont, not very far from the Spartan headquarters. And this is a real big segue. I'll try to keep it short. But I, <laughs> I read about a thing called the death race, the Spartan death race. And I, <laughs> you're like, I, that sounds fun. <laughs> so I emailed the race directors at the time and I was like, Hey, can I come watch this? Because, you know, I'm a blogger. I could write about it. And the race director emailed me back and he was like, um, do you actually think maybe you could come down and be the volunteer coordinator? I'm like, I don't even know this guy, but I, you know, I was like, okay. So I did. And long story short, I got very heavily involved in the obstacle course racing world that summer. Fall of 2012, they put on their first Spartan Ultra Beast in Killington, Vermont. And back then you had to apply to race. And I got, I was chosen to, to race. And while I didn't finish that race, I got, I think like 27, 28 miles into the 32 miles. It was actually like 32 miles. It was the furthest I had ever gone on trail. And it was the hardest thing I had ever done by far. Because, you know, you've got all these obstacles over this distance. And afterwards, I really kind of sat with that. And I was like, wow, I am capable of so much more than I ever imagined. You know, it, it was such a transitional point in my life in so many ways. And I was like, I really like this off-road, stupid, crazy, long-distance stuff. <laughs> so it naturally progressed to ultra running from there. And then, you know, from ultra running to here I am at adventure racing. So I think all athletes kind of have a progression over time, even if they stay in the same sport, just kind of with what their goals are. So yeah, I've been... All that said, running, you know, really focused on running for the last 16 years. So when you were growing up as a little girl, were you like super active and adventure seeking or is this kind of a surprise? Both. I would say I played, I was pretty competitive playing soccer. I ran track and field as a way to stay in shape for soccer. I was not a good athlete at all in track and field. In fact, I'm still Facebook friends with my track coach to this day. And he's always like, mind blown that, that I'm doing what I'm doing because I hated running. I hated it. It was just something we did for soccer. I was adventurous in the sense that, you know, when you grow up in Vermont, everyone's parents are like, go outside and don't come back until dinner. You know, that's just what we did. Right. Until the sun goes down. Or, yeah. Yeah. I was never like a thrill seeker and I never loved pushing my body. So I'm kind of like 50-50, you know, like I was certainly an active child, but I was never the kind who sought out this like really hard stuff. I just love Vermont. So beautiful. Me too. I miss it so much. <laughs> it's, I haven't spent too much time there, but any time I've visited, it's just so breathtaking. And I think, oh, it'd be wonderful to retire there or something, but I can't handle the winters. That's <laughs> why we're still down here and not back up there. <laughs> right. Exactly. Once you move down south, you, you just get so spoiled. Yep. <laughs> okay. And Relentless Forward Commotion, where did that name come about? 
So this is another Heather story here. I started my blog in 2009 and it was called Run Faster Mommy. And that was me. That was all of my handles across everything for years. And in 2014, just, you know, perhaps it was my ADHD brain. Maybe I don't know what happened, but I know that my URL, my domain expired and I couldn't get it back. And I was like panicking, you know, somebody had bought my URL. What am I going to be? What am I going to do? And so my friend at the time was like, well, maybe you should take this opportunity to rebrand. You know, you're not, my boys at that time were a little older. They weren't in the jogging stroller anymore. I was doing obstacle course racing and different things as well. And she was like, why not relentless forward commotion? You know, you're just like, your life is crazy and in chaos and there's commotion, but you're always pushing forward. And I loved it. And so I, I went with it. And then of course the irony is that at the time I wasn't ultra running all these years later, come to find out there's relentless forward progress is like one of the original training books in the ultra marathon world. <laughs> so I'm like, whoopsie, you know, I didn't do that on purpose, but uh, it is what it is. So. Yeah, that kind of happened with me with Mother Runners. I thought that I came up with the term Mother Runner. I thought I was so clever. And then once I started doing research, I was like, oh, wait, this already exists. Like I did, I, you know, I looked into the hashtag and on Instagram and I was like, there's already this beautiful community of Mother Runners out there. So yeah, I, I get that. I, it's funny, this morning I was um, buying up domains for like masters running, like the masters runners or something. Cause I'm thinking, I'm like thinking ahead. Like when my kids are getting older, I'm going to need to maybe pivot and start writing about other things. So I'm already a masters runner and I'm like, that could be some, another audience I'd like to plug into and try to help. So yeah, you gotta, and uh, you know, gotta think ahead and secure those domain names before they're like $30,000. <laughs> It was way easier to do like 15 years ago. And these days, there's it's so hard to find anything. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. Unless you want it to be like some random dot group or whatever. And anyway. yep. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. Well, we didn't come here to talk about <laughs> domain names, but you know, there's lots that we could talk about. But one of the articles that I happened upon when I was doing research for something it was yours and it was, and you just did a beautiful overview of training principles and I always love to get to the why. And with my athletes that I coach, like I always want to tell them the why of the training because it, it is very specific and scientific running. It's not just like go out there and run the same distance every day or go out there and run as fast as you can for this amount of time. And so I guess I would love to know kind of like an overview first of what a training adaptation is and then kind of what is happening in the body that leads to these training adaptations. Is that too big of a question? No. We, <laughs> You're like, courses are taught on this, Whitney. Come on. Yeah. And that is true. They are, but we can keep it, keep it very keep basic. It simple. And yeah. We can keep it simple. So, so obviously like, let me back up a little. And I think I do say this in that post. Like I always think of that quote, like, what is it? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over. And, and it's not getting, the, yes. And so that's what, you know, so many athletes who come to me and come to you and probably every other running coach out there, that's often what they do is that they don't understand. Like I've been running, I run this far every day and I have for years and I'm not getting better and maybe I'm getting worse. And that's because 
there is a ton of science showing how our bodies adapt to exercise and we need so many these principles of exercise basically help you understand how you want to build a training plan to reach your goals so an adaptation to training. We're gonna have a bunch of different things that happen when we train. It's not that we just all of a sudden get stronger or better. You know, yes, we are building, rebuilding muscle in so many different ways. Like we're restructuring, you know, our muscle fiber types. We do have our fast twitch muscle fibers and our slow twitch muscle fibers. And to keep that really super simple, it's basically some are gonna help you more so with slower, longer distance running where some are going to help you with that faster, harder anaerobic running. And we also have muscle fiber types that can kind of go back and forth either way. So that's one thing that can happen during training. Uh, we have hormone adaptations that happen, you know, how our bodies produce certain hormones to help us recover faster after exercise or build that muscle. So yeah, and you know, and we, um, we also, we've got our endurance, like our cardiovascular adaptations, like how well does our body absorb and utilize oxygen with every single breath we take? You know, somebody who does a better job at that is going to be able to take in a great big breath of air while they're running, have that oxygen flow to their muscles, you know, help provide energy, clear out the stuff we don't want. Whereas somebody who's less conditioned, it's just not going to be as efficient. So there's a lot of adaptations that happen during training rather than just thinking like, oh, well, I'm just... I'm faster or I'm stronger. It's pretty much our entire system adapts to how we both can perform and recover from exercise. Yeah. And it's different systems that you're trying. Okay. So obviously the, the simple equation is stress. So the actual training plus rest equals success. And so there are different ways that you can approach that equation, but it's going to be the same, but like the stress Sometimes we can have more stress followed by a shorter rest, or we can have, you know, more stress and more rest. And then, so we're talking about different things like progressive overload, for example. What are like some different techniques that people can take advantage of in their training? Like if they're trying to bust through a plateau to help them, like, Sure. So there are so many things you can do when you hit a plateau. First thing I do is say, take a step back and let's look at your overall fatigue. You know, how hard have you been training and for how long? So I think that, you know, coaches and for lack of a better term, fitness influencers have been doing a great job lately at emphasizing how important rest and recovery days are because we know that we don't make these adaptations during training. Doesn't happen then. It happens after training during recovery. So we need to balance out those hard workouts with recovery days so that we can actually make those adaptations. I think like that's a huge point to highlight because I do think a lot of people don't realize that even though it's all over Instagram, it's all over the internet, but like the actual growth, you actually get stronger when you are resting. I think that's so important. Exactly. That's when those adaptations happen. Yes. And, and, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. When I first started running, I thought I could just like, like push as hard as I can every single workout and get better. And it just, it doesn't work that way. Your body needs recovery to get faster, to get stronger, to feel good. 
But in addition to that, so that's kind of on that day-to-day scale. We need to look big picture. We need to manage that fatigue. If you're constantly, you know, doing more and more and more, sometimes even those recovery days aren't enough. And we need to take like what's called a cutback week or a deload week. So sometimes like that's the first thing I like to look at with an athlete. How hard have you been going and for how long? Especially runners, we know they love to race. I'm not sure if it's this bad in the road running world, but in the ultra world, people want to do, they want to race like every other weekend. And you have to remind them like you can't constantly put your body under that kind of stress and expect it to to keep getting better. It's just going to get more and more tired. So let's say the athlete's like, no, I'm really good with, with my rest and recovery. It's not that. So then we're going to kind of look at our big picture training. So there are different approaches that you can take in essentially periodizing your training over various phases to reach various adaptations. And that kind of leads into all of these different principles of exercise. So like, for example, progressive overload is one that people often think of, you know, obviously we're going to progressively give our, our bodies a greater stimulus than than it's used to so that we're getting stronger and stronger. But we also need to have variation in our workouts. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to go run five miles today. Tomorrow I'm going to run five and a half. And the day after I'm going to run six. Yes, that's progressive overload, but we're not giving our body any sort of variation in stimulus. You need to have, you know, our shorter, harder workouts that are work that are maybe pushing our anaerobic capacity or our lactate threshold. You need to have your slower, longer workouts that are more endurance-based. So variety is super important. And that, and but that variety, if anybody's listening and they're just started running or whatever, like that variety is after you've built a base. It's not like you start running and then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do my tempo run on my third day of running. It's after you have a good solid base. Sorry. Absolutely. Yes. No, that's <laughs> great point. And I do tend to forget that because often, you know, I work with a lot of ultra runners and while they are by no means like elites or anything like that, typically they've been running for years. So I tend to forget that, but you're absolutely right. This is after base building, you know, and then in addition to our variation, you need to kind of plan those phases in a specific order so that they reach the end goal. So a prime example, let's say we have somebody training for a marathon. Our end goal is obviously going to be the endurance to cover that kind of distance. We're not going to start a big training cycle focusing on long runs and then kind of like maybe throw in the middle some lactate threshold focused workouts. And then at the very end, only focus on building like VO2 max or aerobic capacity. It doesn't work that way. You know, same in the strength training world. Like there's a certain order you need to go in, in order to reach that end goal. So that's very important as well. So typically, yeah, if someone has a plateau, we need to look at all these different pieces and say, something's probably not going, is either out of order is being ignored or forgotten, you know, certain types of workouts. And And then you also need to kind of look at how long this person has been training in general and how close are they to their potential max. You know, we all have a genetic ceiling. I hate this part. I hate (laughs) – this is my least favorite phase of exercise. The sky's the limit, darn it. Yeah, I know. The diminishing returns is what it's called. And I hate this one because I'm like the happy bubbly coach who's like, you can do anything you put your mind to. But like if it's winning the Boston Marathon, probably not, you know, (laughs) because we all have a genetic ceiling and we all, you know, are going to respond to training differently and not everybody can do 
what the elites do. So the longer you've been training, the harder it is to make gains, especially if you've been training really well with a real structured program. And that's also why we see beginners like make huge strides because they've got a lot of room for improvement. And that's not the case with those of us who've been around the block for like the last 20 years running. So, (laughs) right. Yes. And I think it's important too, to look at your training as well, as far as like what you do, what you excel at and what you don't do well. If you like, you're really good at those VO2 max workouts and the long runs feel easy, but you struggle on the tempo runs and the critical velocity. Like that is telling you something that, you know, you need to marry those, your endurance and your speed together. And you need to do more of those like threshold type workouts. Exactly. And I think that's also a common misconception in the longer and longer distance endurance world is like people tend to think the further they're going like marathon and beyond and ultra marathon, they start to think, well, I don't need speed work or I don't need to improve, you know, my lactate threshold because my entire race is going to be at zone two or below anyway. And that's not true. You know, our bodies, it's all, we cannot get better at one thing without bringing everything up together. So we've got to work on all these different aspects of fitness. And it's always amazing to people when they do start throwing in some speed work or, you know, some longer, harder workouts, they're like, oh, wow, my easy runs are like that much easier now (laughs) and I'm going faster. Or is that because, you know, that helps with muscle fiber recruitment when your legs are getting tired and it also helps with the efficiency of how you're processing glycogen, fat, oxygen, et cetera. Absolutely. Okay. What about, this is something that I find tricky, like functional fatigue and knowing what's normal and that is purposeful. Like when I don't do ultras, but I do marathons and I know And towards the end, like middle to end of my marathon cycle, it is normal to feel tired, to have your legs feel tired. But as long as I'm hitting the workouts, I'm okay. And the taper's coming and I'm going to bounce back and it's going to help me in my race. But it's hard to know where that line is. Like, is this functional or is this non-functional? Especially when my Garmin is always telling me. (laughs) Like, shut up. I know. I wish I could turn that feature off. I do too. I'm like, you don't know me. (laughs) (laughs) But then I'm like, do you know me better than I know myself? (laughs) Yeah. No, that's a great question. So going back to fatigue management, you know, when we're trying to progressively overload, we do need to do what's called overreaching. And as you mentioned, we've got functional overreaching and non-functional overreaching. Functional overreaching is purposeful. Non-functional is usually what happens to people who just have a chaotic training plan and don't really take enough rest and they're getting tired. And then we have overtraining, which overtraining syndrome is actually relatively rare in the everyday population. It's more seen in like actual elite athletes who are pushing at insane levels. But how to know can be, it can get easier with time. Like you said, once you've been doing this for a long time, you really do start to know your body and know like, okay, this is what I'm expecting at this point in my training plan or something's not feeling right here. But what I encourage my athletes to do is look at a bunch of different factors to kind of determine, are we doing too much or is this what we're, you know, we're about to peak and that's why you're so tired. Hitting your workouts is obviously a great place to start. But then we look at things like, how are you sleeping? You know, are you sleeping well or is your sleep all of a sudden super disrupted? How's your appetite? How is your mood? Are you snapping at your kids and your husband? And, you know, and like normally you don't. Are you feeling like mentally foggy? Is your menstrual cycle off? Is, you know, so many little things that I think we as athletes tend to maybe 
brush aside or not look at because we're all we're all pretty stubborn like let's be honest like we and we, it's <laughs> easy to explain it too like we can clearly be like well you know i'm not sleeping well because i'm stressed about this or my kid woke up or i'm here in my cycle or i'm snapping because i'm tired because I wasn't sleeping, you know, like, so it can be kind of hard to pin it on the actual running. It can be, yeah. <laughs> Especially it, it, it when we don't want to. Right. <laughs> and so my go-to, you know, my belief at the end of the day as a coach, especially with the populations I coach, none of my athletes are paying their mortgage with winnings from races. They're not, you know, like, yes, we have big, huge goals, but this is not like our career. So when in doubt, we're going to take a little step back. And if that little step back makes you feel significantly better then yeah, we probably were doing maybe a little bit too much because, you know, you can always show up to a starting line slightly undertrained, but if you show up overtrained, you're going to have a real bad day. Like it's, it's not going to end well, and it may even end in injury. So it's definitely, that's part of the art of coaching too, is being able to kind of really look at all the pieces. How is your heart rate responding? You know, how, Gosh, there's just so many factors. But to the, you know, newer runner, I would say if you're thinking you're doing maybe too much, take maybe a day or two or even three off and then try again. If you feel like instantly better, you just needed a little rest. Maybe, you know, you were doing too much. It's hard to trust the process. It really can be. But I think it gets easier with time for sure. That is such a beautiful point about showing up a little bit undertrained is so much better than overtrained. Like the stakes are so much higher when you're overtrained and that's so hard for us to be okay with. So if you have a an experienced athlete who fears that they might be kind of towing the line with overtraining, even though I know it is rare to really be overtraining, but do you do like two down weeks back to back where you cut the mileage by like 30% or how does that typically look for you if there is a typical way? I would say there's not a typical way because every athlete's going to be very different and their goals, especially when we're talking about ultra running, it gets crazy. Like we tend to have much longer tapers than you're going to see, you know, um, or much different peaking than you're going to see in a marathon. Like I'll have people do a 50 miler as a, as a training run for like a hundred miler. So now we're talking like, crazy kinds of recovery. But yeah, so I know it's the ultra world. Like you learn everything about coaching runners and then it's like, throw it all out the window because now we have a whole different world to deal with. You guys are crazy. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. It's true. You know, so if we're getting really close to that peak, like right before taper and everything is as it should be, like they're hitting their workouts, they're sleeping well, they're eating well, you know, they're not feeling sick, nothing hurts. They're just really, really tired. Well, that's what I'm going to be like, okay, well, this is what you're, that means we're doing it correctly. Like, right. Suck stay it up. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stay the course. Exactly. <laughs> and trust that this is going to pay off. But, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, every athlete, they know their body. I know a good bit about their body, but I'll never know what they're feeling and what's going on. I'll never know it to the level they do so that they have to trust themselves and really kind of make that call at the end of the day. I always err on the side of caution. I never want to send an athlete to a race injured or on the cusp of injury. So, you know, one workout, two workouts is not going to make or break a training plan. So if you need an extra day, you're going to take an extra rest day. It's going to be fine. And if anything, it's probably going to pay off to take that extra rest. Yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, I, I always, even for myself, it's hard, but for my athletes, I buy into it. You know, that rest day, you're going to, you stand to gain way more than if you pushed it. Um, yeah. And so what are some quick, like, 
training principle do's and don'ts. Like don't do two back-to-back hard days. That like those sorts of little key takeaways. So I wouldn't say that there's any don't that's a specific workout because I want to go back to the very first principle I talk about in that post, and that's individuality. Every athlete responds to workouts differently. Some athletes can handle two back-to-back hard workouts, and it actually helps, you know, with whatever their goal may be because they're at a certain point in their fitness, their running journey. They've been running for so long, their body can tolerate it. They need that stimulus. Other athletes, like for example, I have an athlete that I've worked with for quite a while. She prefers and feels her best doing two build weeks and a cutback, two build weeks and a cutback. You don't see that very often, but that's her. She knows that, you know, if we start a third build week or a fourth build week, everything's going in the garbage because it's just her body can't tolerate it. So, you know, I would say the number one thing is remember the principle of individuality. Just because you see another athlete, even if they're training for the same race as you and they have the same amount of experience as you, your body and their body are not the same you know, genetically, you're not the same. Who knows how well your body's recovering compared to that athlete. They may be able to do more than you. You may be able to do more than them. That doesn't make one right and one wrong. You know, like you have to keep in mind that your body is kind of on its own, its own journey. I hate that word. I keep using it. It's on its own path. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I feel like that's the number one thing. We tend to get so, again, type A, runners, we get so hung up on like, it has to look like this, or it has to look like that. Or, you know, this person on the internet said that this is the best way to train. The best way to train is going to be in a way that your body can respond and make adaptations and recover and keep you healthy and keep you strong. So, you know, for some runners that may be like, we often hear like, don't do a long run longer than three hours. That's a big one I hear in marathon and below. Like you hear that often. If you don't do a long run longer than three hours and you're training for a hundred miler, you're probably going to have a hard time come a hundred miler, you know? So like, I feel there's no absolutes. There's no like, it has to be this way. Yeah. And so when, when you tell, when somebody's paying attention to how they're feeling and how they're responding, I feel like it can get a little murky because like, there's going to be a period of time of several weeks up to maybe six weeks where your body is adapting and you're not quite sure how it is responding and if it's good for you or bad for you. I mean, do you agree with that? Like it's absolutely. Yeah. So how would one know? I mean, like you can't decide right away, like, oh no, 70 miles a week is too much. I feel tired. I, this is not good. Like you need to give it some time but you also don't want to give it too much time that then you're digging yourself into the hole or you're injured. Exactly. Yeah. And no, I totally agree with that. In fact, today I went to the gym and I just had the worst workout and I was like, you know, my body, I'm just not there today. My, my body's still tired. I'm still recovering from my race. So, you know, I think just like I said earlier, that one or two workouts is not going to make or break a training plan or a training cycle. I think that you need to keep that in mind in both directions. If you're feeling tired and you're like, I don't know, am I supposed to be feeling this tired? Well, then make that choice. Am I going to push through or am I going to recover? You could try either one, but if you push through and the next day you're feeling great again, good. You know, it's, you're kind of doing what you need to do. I think that you need to look at trends in how well you're performing. If your performance is bad one day or two days, you know, it's not a big deal, but if it is consistently trending downwards, then you need some rest. You need to cut back. You're not, your body's not responding well to 70 miles per week or whatever it may be. 
you know, but if you do notice that, no, I'm kind of, I'm hanging here and I'm hitting my workouts, even though I'm really, really tired, but I know that I've got a purposeful deload or cutback week coming, stick with it, you know, push through. It's part of being an athlete is learning your body like that. This is not supposed to be easy, but at the same time, if anything, well, this is my always go-to. If it hurts, if it aches, like if it's a sharp pain, stop. <laughs> You've done <laughs> yes. too much. If you're oh, tired, yeah. that's probably normal. Workouts are supposed to be exhausting. If you're perpetually, chronically tired, take a step back. Yeah. Workouts are supposed to be tiring, but you should not be going, oh, I mean, I know if you're doing a 50-mile run, that's one thing. But like well, yeah. <laughs> for marathon and below, you know, you shouldn't be going to the well on every workout. Like it should be tiring and then you should be able to recover and do what you need to do the rest of the day. And one more thing I want to ask you about too, like when you're saying individuality, that is such an important point. It's an important life point. Follow your path. (laughs) But it's like, you may have somebody who is running the same mileage as you. You have the same goal, same race, but they don't have the same life as you. And I think so many people forget that like stress is stress and your body responds to stress, whether it's work stress, life, life stress, kids stress, spouse stress, running stress, like it's all the same. And so, yeah, like I would, I'm guessing like as a coach, you take that into consideration too when you're training your athletes, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I cannot tell you the number of times I've had someone who's like, I didn't get in my workout because my dog got into some chocolate and I had to take him to the vet. And on the way there, I got a flat tire and you know, like life happens, this stuff happens. And again, like we're not going to make or break a training cycle with one single missed workout. You have to balance your life and your training. And you have to remember that, like you said, your body stress is stress. And if you present too much stress, it's not going to recover very well. So it's just, you know, I think that's part of our job as coaches. A lot of people think it's just building the training plan and being like, go, go, go do this. But no, it's helping clients and helping runners learn how to balance in a way that not only helps them reach their goals, but helps them stay healthy and happy in the rest of their life. I am going to feel like a failure as a coach if I, you know, help a client reach their running goal. Like, yeah, they knock it out of the park, but also like their kids are miserable. They're probably going to get a divorce now. Their house is falling apart. They lost their job. You know, uh, those are extremes, but I'm serious though. You know, it's, again, we are not elites. This is not our job. You want to kind of find that balance so that we can do this. And I say we, cause I do the same thing for myself. I want to be running until like 80, you know, <laughs> or, or 90 or beyond. Right. And that's not going to happen if I don't maintain balance. So yeah, I think sometimes clients just need that person to remind them it's okay. It's totally fine if you didn't get this workout because something else in life came up or something that's more important than running came up. So balance. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. We have a lot of priorities and yeah, I think like I have athletes and I was this person too, where running becomes stressful and it's an extra layer of pressure and it's supposed to be the opposite. Like it's supposed to be bringing you joy. It's supposed to be making you, you know, fill your cup. And so if you are stressing about trying to fit in your workout, your mileage, like you got too much going on in your life, then maybe you're not like functionally overreaching, but like in life you are, and it's time to take a step back for now in in that season. You're emotionally overreaching. Yes. Yes. Especially as, you know, as moms too, like we just always have so much going on. Well, I love talking with you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that we should have? 
No, you know, probably, but also this was great. <laughs> uh, like I said, you know, this topic alone, you could talk about this in depth for, for days and days and days. But I think ultimately just people need to remember that their journey is their own and it's not necessarily going to look exactly like everybody else's. But when in doubt, reach out to a coach, help them structure training for you to kind of cover your bases with these principles of exercise. And I think you'd be surprised at how, what a difference it can make. Yeah, really. I mean, that's so many people still, I think they think they have to be like a certain level to have a running coach. And that's not the case. Not true at all. We can help anyone. It's so true. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I loved connecting with you yes, in you real too. life. And I hope you have a, a great weekend. Thank you. You as well. It was great chatting with you. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Heather, and thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. You can find the full show notes for every episode, including a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources we mentioned at runnerclick.com slash podcast. And we would love it if you follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, we would also love it if you leave a rating and review. We will talk to you next time.